There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Hello again, everybody. Our guest today, Blues General Manager Doug Armstrong. Now, I want to make it clear, we recorded this interview before free agency. So, it's important to note that some of this, um, very little, but still some of it's dated. And I know oftentimes when I'm listening to podcasts or shows and then I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's dated. It's, it's, it's a little irksome, but I want to give that disclaimer in advance. And, uh, it, because the, the vast majority of this is the, is the piecing together, uh, the Stanley cup champion team, the decisions he made as the general manager during the season when it wasn't going really well and some behind the scenes elements of all of that. Um, so the, the, the free agency stuff, understandably people will go, well, now, hold on a second. Now that's already changed and it has, but that's because we did the interview, um, at the end of June. So now with all of that said, uh, you're still walking down memory lane with the general manager on what happened here and his thought process when a lot of people thought he would be trading away the guys that eventually lifted the cup in June. Doug Armstrong, the Blues General Manager, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, joining us from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly is the Home Loan Expert, and he's online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. If you are in the market for a uh, mortgage, if you're going to be buying a home, if you're going to be refinancing, it's really kind of this simple. You just go to the HomeLoanExpert.com. I think it is that simple, but I wanted to leave myself an out, but I don't, I don't know how it wouldn't be any simpler than that, the HomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan Kelly is his name. He has built a business and it's built on credibility and it's built on customer service. It's also built on, he's going to get you pre-approved. So you're going to be armed with that when you're on the competitive home buying market. And if you're going to refinance with home values as high as they are and interest rates as low as they are, he can get you cash. So it's Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert and the studios are the home studios. That is where you will find our guest this week. Blues General Manager Doug Armstrong. Well, Doug, thank you so much for uh, for joining me here. First off, congratulations. I would imagine this has been some of the most exciting time of your life and your family's life. I know as a fan, this has been as good as it's gotten for me, but for somebody who's living it and put it all together, what has this been been like over the last couple of months? Yeah, obviously it's been a great journey uh, starting in early January. Uh, uh, sort of climbing up from the valley to the top of the mountain. It was a interesting journey. I thought the playoffs were, you know, you're just live day to day in the playoffs, so you don't get too far ahead of yourself. And then finally when uh, the, the horn went in Boston and the season was over and uh, we had reached our goals, it's been a special 10 days or 14 days since then. There's always a, a perspective that when you're in the battle, it's different than the people on the outside. It's like when parents talk about watching their kids play, they're more nervous than when they were playing, so to speak. So, for example, game, I interviewed John Kelly yesterday, and he said during Game 7 of the Dallas game, he said he was in agony watching that. What were you, the general manager, feeling 
in, in game seven of Dallas, for example. Yeah, I think that probably experience sets in and you, you know, I tr- your emotions don't get too high or too low. Uh, game seven's obviously a, uh, anything can happen. I thought we were playing great hockey. We couldn't get that extension goal and it got into overtime. And then you're, you're basically just playing, uh, hoping for a good break. And, uh, uh, they had a couple of great opportunities to score. Bennington made some great saves. We had a couple of great opportunities to score. Bishop made some great saves. And then ultimately there's a great play made by a young kid, Robbie Thomas, and uh, Patty Maroon's there to knock it in, and, and the rest is history. So you, I, I think you just try and stay in the moment. Uh, uh, you try not to get too high or too low, but obviously game sevens and, and overtimes are, are a little more tense. The thing that makes this run so fascinating is what was going on in October, November, and December. Also a different perspective when you were the guy who, who put the whole thing together. As I was watching, I was thinking to myself, I don't think it's that bad, but clearly the wins aren't there. As you were watching it, what were you seeing in those months that was leading to the team not have the success that you guys clearly thought was going to happen in 2018-2019? Yeah, I would say early in the season we found ways to, to lose games instead of win games, which was, was disappointing. And uh, But you're right, we were never we never lost you know five or six in a row right. where we felt that it was really poor or we never won five or six in a row to felt that we were coming out the other side it was like win one lose one win two lose three win three lose two so we can never find any any positive footing or but also no real negative footing uh, and and we never really felt we were out of the playoff race just because uh uh, we were never more than seven or eight points out, and that, that's a lot to gain. You have to have a good winning streak, in which we did. So it was a it was an interesting first couple of months because we felt we had a good team that weren't getting good results. There are two moments in the season that certainly people off the ice would focus on, and one, of course, is when Craig Berube came on board. What did you think of him before he became your, at the time, interim head coach? What did you know and what did you think? Well, I got to work with Craig uh, maybe a couple of years earlier. I was managing uh, Team Canada for the World Cup, and he had just got uh, uh, let go by Philly and was looking to do some work. So he came on and scouted for me uh, and, and Team Canada. Uh, and then the next year, we were looking for an American League coach. Kevin McDonald, who runs our American League program, said that he thought he would be an excellent coach. He watched him do the Philadelphia Phantoms and, and the Flyers. So we... Uh, because I knew him at that point, I was very comfortable uh, in the working relationship. He went down to Chicago, did a very good job yeah. for our group. Uh, you know, Mike was then looking for an associate coach, and Craig checked all the boxes, experienced at the NHL level, good good coaching resume at the American League level came up. And so I felt really comfortable working uh, with Craig, but it's a, a different animal when you're working with someone as the manager coach to a manager associate coach. Uh, the coach-manager relationship is very important in hockey, and uh, so when when he took over as the head coach, we we got to to learn each other's rhythms and and where where pressure points were and how things uh, you know were comfortable and uncomfortable. And uh, when we got to there, I felt in early January I understood what he was how he was going to operate, and I think he understood how I liked to operate. And we found a really good uh, synergy that uh, that was a good uh, a good partnership. What did you think changed as far as the play? went when you saw him come in because it wasn't like it it switched and all of a sudden the team went on a sick run it eventually did happen but what do you notice from your perspective that changed with the team's play well I I think we we became a very uh, level-headed team Uh, we we played some really good hockey and lost games uh, but there wasn't that emotional swing that maybe we had earlier in the year Uh, we handled we handled our losses a little bit better we also handled our wins a little bit better and uh, uh I think he did. A, he did a great job of just staying in the moment, having a guy stay in the moment. There was a belief system there, and then it obviously coincided with Bennington coming in, and uh, uh, he he gave us 
he gave us those early wins that put some sail, uh, some wind in our sail, yeah. and then that 11-game winning streak uh, uh, sort of solidified that he was going to be the guy that was was going to take over our number one position. And uh, he didn't look back, and we didn't look back. What did you know about Bennington before that night in Philadelphia? Well, he we drafted him. He had been here a number of years. Uh, he had had some really good years in the American League, uh, but there was always seemed to be someone that the organization felt was was better prepared to be the next guy whether it was jake or whether it was huso uh, and binner is a, just a a great story and perseverance and belief in himself he got down uh to san antonio this year thinking you know he was in competition with huso and we had made made it clear that we thought huso was the guy that we we viewed as our future number one goaltender and uh Billy got off to a difficult start, had some injuries, and Benner came in and and just stayed consistent and to the task. Got the opportunity here and uh, and uh, wrote his own story, and uh, we're all benefiting from it. Now that now that we can look back on it and you see what's wound up happening, it was there a moment over January, February, or March, or even early April where you go, I've been the captain of the ship here on some great teams, but this one seems like it might be different did you ever start to have that feeling I mean, it was the best record in the nhl in january february march and april did you see something different than for example 2016 when the team was one of the final four yeah i, I would say the difference uh with this team was for a number of years we were 105 107 111 points so we had no adversity really you'd have a couple losses during the year that bothered you but you were always in the top four or five in the league and and uh uh, this year we had a lot of adversity and I, I would say when when we got into after that 11 game winning streak we knew we weren't going to trade any of our unrestricted free agents they had they had fought their way back into being a playoff position team we were going to uh, at, at worst stay pat and maybe add someone um, but we didn't want to upset the chemistry of, of the players uh, guys had earned the right to to stay in the slots that they had on the team so we made one uh, a depth addition in Del Zotto and just let the guys take it from there but I would say it was early February where we felt uh, uh, that we were playing good enough hockey for an extended period of time seven eight weeks uh, where we thought that this this has a chance to be something that uh, should be competitive when you get into the playoffs and I think one of the things you you look back on is LA won the championship from the eighth and seventh seed yeah. uh, Nashville made the finals from the I think the eighth seed so uh, today's with parody in today's NHL if you get to the tournament you have a chance to win and I always thought uh, going into the the Stanley Cup playoffs it was one team that was had clearly separated themselves from everybody else all year long and that was Tampa Bay and uh, they lost uh, they lost in the first round so that really leveled the playing field where you know, you you look at uh, you look at the point totals between us and Boston, and you're talking maybe uh, one win a month right. is different. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like there was a team that was dominant like Tampa. Yeah, and in, in looking at the whole list of, of reasons why this this happened, I think a lot of people would go, "What a defining moment back when Doug Armstrong could have gone, okay, we're going to pull the plug on this thing." How close were you to going? All right, we got to move on into 2019 and 2020. Doug Armstrong is presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's online at evergreenstl.com. That's evergreenstl.com. What's his phone number? I'll give you his phone number. It's 314-889-0503. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. You need somebody to be a financial advisor. Make sure it's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. I regret not having one for years. I'm happy that I have one now. Mark Hanna 
can take great care of you. 314-889-0503. It's just about preparation. It's just about organization. And it's not like he's going to give a one-size-fits-all plan to you. What do you want? What are your goals? What are your, what's your age? What's your income? What are you able to invest? Arcana will put you on the right path with that organization. 314-889-0503 or go online to evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, presenting our guest, Doug Armstrong. Well, we, we had talked about, uh, we had talked to the leadership group in Edmonton uh, right before Christmas that uh, there was a belief in the team, but it, it had to go, it had to transfer from a belief to reality and that we were going to try and give them as much uh, leeway as possible but we needed the wins and we came out of that we had a really good western canada road trip we won two out of three then we came home and i thought we played some great hockey against the the devils and the rangers and lost both of those games and pittsburgh came in here and scored four power play goals so we were seeing good play but again no no results and so we were we were hoping in, in early january that they could go on a run and they did go on a run which which sort of solidified that we didn't have to do anything but the nhl the the there, there's pockets when trades are made. They're made at the draft, uh, and they're usually made at the trade deadline. So, if if we had have got into to mid mid February and we were still uh, at the bottom third of the league, then we would have had to make harder decisions. Um, we had certainly talked to teams about if if we get to that point, you know, what are you going to do? And mm-hmm. and they said, well, let's see where we're at too. The, there's such parity in the league that uh, nobody wants to make a trade too early because uh, they might not make the playoffs or it might not work out or they don't want to trade someone because they, they think that if they don't want to give up on the playoff spot. And we were probably in the latter part. Yeah. And uh, it worked out very good. And we were honest with guys when we got, as I said, to early February that we weren't going to be uh, trading our, our, our core players uh, because we believed that uh, we had turned the, turned the corner and we were heading the right direction. A significant decision. You wind up playing Winnipeg, a team that you opened up the season with. And a lot of, and I think some people think might have been the best team you guys wound up playing in the first three rounds getting past them, getting past the stars that we made reference to. And then I thought a huge moment in the whole thing was the team's response to Game 3 against the Sharks. Craig Berube's response, the way the players handled it. Take me back to that night, Game 3, where the Blues had outplayed the Sharks, specifically in the second, third period, but they tie it. And then, of course, the famous hand pass. What's going through your mind in that moment and then the way the organization handled it in that moment? Well, obviously, you you know you're playing good hockey again. Uh uh, the hand pass was was frustrating because there's there's so much at stake. Uh, but I remember going down and I was angry after the game, talking to Craig uh, and ended and said we have to make sure that as as a group we move forward. To, it's 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 a two one lead for them. <laughs> Nothing's no no anger, no complaining is really going to 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 change that. So I thought Craig did a great job of of stating that to the media. I thought Craig did a great job of getting the players to to state that. And that was the resiliency that we talked about earlier, where yeah. We were able to park losses very quickly, and uh, uh, you, you refer to that game. I also refer to Game Six in the finals, where we we were one step ahead of ourselves on on thinking that we're going to chance to win the championship on home ice in front of our fans. And our I think our focus and our mind wandered, uh, and how quickly they were able to get it back for Game Seven. So I think it just is a reflection of the mental toughness that Craig had, and the players had built up. You're exactly right. I thought that same thing. I was here in Game Six, thinking, okay, it's going to happen tonight. So everything, everybody in the building thought it was going to happen. You still got a very good hockey team. I think the hockey team that was pissed about what had happened at the end of Game Five, and they respond. And I was thinking, if anything, this is textbook blues. These guys aren't going to freak out because they've been through a bunch of crap all year long. And if anything, they're probably more at ease than a lot of the fans are. You, of course, are the 
the guy who put the whole thing together. What are you thinking after Game Six, heading into Game Seven in Boston? You got a few days to think about it. Yeah, I think the few days we use as a, as an ally, as, as an asset. Uh, you're you're disappointed. Uh, you can see the disappointment in your fan base. Uh, uh, the the normal conversation comes up when you haven't won a championship before. Same old blues, same old this. Uh, here we go again. Uh, I thought our having that extra day off, we were able to travel to Boston. Uh, park that and then I thought when we had our practice the, the day the second day uh, our guys were focused they were ready to go and uh, I you, you don't know a game seven it's a crapshoot anything can happen but I knew we were going to be prepared to play and I would imagine that first period in the way Jordan Bennington performed in particular for about a 14 minute stretch had to deflate Boston and then the two goals especially the one by Petrangelo with 7.9 seconds left I can't imagine what Bruce Cassidy could have possibly said to those guys in the room after dominating as much as they did, couldn't beat Bennington, and then they're down 2-0 after the first period. Yeah, I would say when you look back on it, if, if you break that period into sections, I, I thought we were the, a very good road team the first six minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't give them anything. It was a, a textbook how you want to go into a game seven, and then we took that too many or we, we took that penalty for puck over the over yeah. the glass and their power play was was has been dynamite all series you know Bennington makes a great save on Marchand coming across uh, has to make another great save and I thought Boston did a fabulous job of of gaining not scoring a goal but gaining momentum and they were able to shift after shift keep that momentum five on five play uh Binner made I think two more you know excellent saves that that I don't want to say deflated their team. I don't think it did because they kept coming, but energized our group. Uh, then O'Reilly gets that tip in, and, and then Petro makes that great play. And uh, to go into that period up to nothing was uh, was certainly, you know, we, we felt great because we knew we had another gear to go to. Uh, I, th- I talked to Alexander Steen uh, a couple of days ago about that, and uh, he said they got in the room, and, and their mentality really since January on was just next shift, worry about the next shift. Yeah. And I think Alexander said, like, we, we, we're lucky to be where we are right now, but if we win if we win every next shift, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and, and, and they took that focus into the second period. And I thought for a road team in that environment, it, with with everything at stake, you couldn't play any better than we played the second and third period. That was that was textbook winning hockey. I don't know if you're a boxing guy at all, but the analogy I keep using is like Floyd Mayweather. It wasn't necessarily Mike Tyson knockouts. It was just like pointing them to death, and there was nothing that they could do because the Blues were playing, as you just said, textbook road hockey. Yeah, we we clogged up the neutral zone. We we frustrated their play. Uh, we got a lot of sticks on pucks. Uh, we exited the zone uh, much better than we did in the first period. We were making clean exits, passes, instead of flipping it out and, and absorbing another attack. Uh, we were able to roll down in their zone and, and, and chew up time on the clock. And uh, I just thought we played a, a great road period. And you could sense that our our belief was, was really kicking in in that second period. And then in the third period, same type of thing. Uh, it's it's We're playing very good hockey. I think it's Nordstrom gets a great chance. Yeah. Binner, Binner makes a great save. Then we go down and Tarasenko makes a world-class play to Shen. That's 3 nothing. That you can sense that there's some anxiety in the Boston crowd. Uh, I don't know, say anxiety on the Boston bench, but they knew time was running out. And then uh, uh, you see that great play by Perron to Sanford, a local. And that's that's sort of our, our season. Like it's a, a Boston boy puts the final dagger in the Boston team uh, with the fourth goal. It, it only seemed like a poetic justice that, that, that the fourth goal was scored by Sani. 
And that then, was the Doug Armstrong knife in the eye. Yeah, that, that, that was the that was the exact killer instinct that we've hoped to have for a number of years. And, uh, you know, we took a penalty and, and we killed that off. They scored a goal. Uh, but we we were playing good hockey and, and uh, we were able just to close that game down in, in, in a in a workmanlike fashion that we had pretty well had for for five months. When the clock's ticking down, we see the players on the bench. What are you doing? What are you? Where are you? And what are you doing when that's happening? Well, we're in the press box. There's Al McGinnis, myself, uh, Larry Robinson, and uh, David Alexander, our goalie coach, in a booth. And there's a minute left. And uh, uh, David and, and Larry are getting antsy. They want to get downstairs to uh, participate in the celebration. And I said, well, let's just wait 30 seconds. You know, you want to, you know, all of a sudden it gets to 4-2 to and there's a minute left. You, so yeah. it, it, got, it was at 4-1 at 30 seconds. And I said, okay, I think it's time. And uh <laughs> The elevator was there uh, waiting for us. Uh, the horn went, the elevator went down, and we were able to make our way towards the bench area. And uh, uh, just to, to watch the excitement in our players, watch our excitement in our coaches, our trainers, the, sort of that was the release button uh, where everything, everybody exhaled. And, and uh, I don't think we were aware of what we had accomplished. It was just a, a sense of joy and excitement. Uh, and then, you know, you you celebrate. I thought... You know, the guys did a great job of getting to the handshake line quickly. I've been on the other side of that where it takes a little bit longer. Yeah. And I thought Bennington was very, very classy to get up there quickly. Uh, you know, Boston was a, a great competitor, and but they didn't want to stay on the ice any longer than they had to. And um, then the Conn Smythe comes out and the Stanley Cup comes out and, and things start to sort of settle in. And uh, the NHL, uh, they have, you're allowed 18 people on the ice that aren't aren't players. Uh, for the first 15 minutes, and then your families are allowed. So you had the ownership group and the and uh, management, uh, hockey op management on the ice, and then all of a sudden, the floodgates open, and everybody's <laughs> brothers, sisters, kids come on the ice, and that that's when it really sinks in. You you see a lot of tears of joy from parents. Uh, it it that's the emotional part where you're you're so happy for everybody that's involved in it. Did you ever shed a tear? Oh yeah. Did yeah. you? Okay. Yeah yeah. I'm like that old. Uh, uh, stripes, you know, when old yeller cry, old yeller died. I cry. <laughs> <laughs> when when did you? Yeah. Or was it multiple times? Was it uh, no, when it happened? I, mean, yeah, I, I, no, I was always I thought yeah. when Petrangelo lifted, yeah. I, I'm like I got yeah. tears in my eyes. Yeah, I, was, I welled up. I don't think they ever they ever flowed out. But uh, uh, just seeing mine, mine was more seeing the reaction of people than than seeing the trophy. I, I've seen the trophy before. I've been fortunate to be at Olympics and things like that where you win. But it's it's the emotion you see when when Pat Maroon sees his son yeah. or when uh, Paranko sees Layla or when, uh, you know, Barbashev, like different people. It, it You don't have to be a star. Uh, the, the training staff, uh, there's a great picture of Rich Jankowski, our travel uh, oh, person with uh, with his daughter crying in his arms. Oh, like, is they, that there, right? There's things like that that, uh, that that that's what really you remember. Yeah. Uh, I know when we won in Dallas, Ken Hitchcock and Bob Ganey were talking, and they were talking about the process. I was 34 at the time, and I was more like the players were young and engaged in the party and the atmosphere. Yeah. I think at, at 54, you're much more reflective on what it means to everyone else. And, uh, you know, it, it took some time for me to understand that what it meant to everybody else and just happy that you can be a small part of delivering something that they're going to mem- remember forever. James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is one of the sponsors who make this podcast possible. 314-961-4800, 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton 
State Farm, I made that call and I switched to James Carlton. So it's easy for me to recommend him to you, the audience, because, well, I'm a client of his. And so what's been my experience? Well, we've had some issues. We had our basement flood. My wife lost a ring. Um, what else did we have? We had, we forgot to make a payment or in the process of forgetting to make a payment on, uh, I think some kind of a car insurance policy. And they, they call us and say, Hey, you guys are late with the payment. You know what's going on. And, and, and that's just not what you used to have. It's just not what you used to have. That's what they have. That's what they do. That's what they pride themselves on. It's, it's customer service. It's a staff to make sure that if you call those offices, somebody's going to be there during business hours to take your call. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency in Webster Road. As I think I said a little earlier, I interviewed John Kelly yesterday and he said, I don't know if it could have meant more to another franchise in the NHL than this franchise. He doesn't know if people around North America know that. He says maybe the Leafs, but the Leafs have won it, albeit a, a while ago. When you saw the parade, and the reaction, I was, I always thought this would be a huge deal, but it, it, it actually exceeded those expectations, the, the reality of what we saw in downtown St. Louis, in particular in the parade, but still the city's still on a high. Yeah, Kelly Chase had always told me that if, you, if you're if you part of the group that wins here, you'll be shocked at, at uh, the, the emotion and it will eclipse any other, anything else that has happened here in the city. And I always... I, I thought that was someone that was passionate about hockey, that loved the blues, that was probably overstating yeah. what what it would mean to the city. Uh, and then I, you know, we're on the parade route. Uh, we turn onto Market Street. You see it. You see the depth of of uh, uh, how far back they're going. They're hanging out of buildings. They're in the parking garage. You get down to under the arch. You look out, and then you hear there's four hundred thousand people and. Uh, probably a little bit more than maybe the last couple of parades and that's where it starts to sink in that that this is a this is a market that has a lot of scar tissue from from 52 years that uh, has been ripped off now and we can move forward and uh, I, I don't we're hoping we win again next year and uh, but I don't think anything is going to replicate what this city felt when the first championship was Absolutely. won you guys will always be part of the team I mean the 2019 blues will be talked about in ways that that'll be lore in St. Louis forever. I mean, that's, that's an, and you're, you're the guy who put it together. I know you're not going to say, well, I did it, but I mean, you're part of that 2019 blues forever. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think over time, uh, whether it's a five, a 10, a 15, hopefully I'm around for a 20 year reunion, you'll come <laughs> back and you'll see guys that, and, uh, uh, just being part of that Dallas team 20 years ago, it, it, there's a different bond, uh, that team went to the finals the next year. It was the semifinals the year before, and you see guys on those teams. But there's a just a different bond when you share a championship with someone at any level, whether it's manager, assistant manager, assistant coach, head coach, player, trainer, doctor. There's a bond that you have that lasts forever, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to sharing that bond with these guys uh, for the rest of my life. The weird part about it is everybody's still on the high, but now you still have to go to work and it is draft free agency. And it's a weird spot when you have the team that won the cup. People are like, oh, I'm interested in some of these guys. I got a chance to watch in the spotlight shine bright. How do you approach free agency? And I'm sure one of the goals is to try to keep these guys together. Gunnarsson obviously taken care of yesterday. How do you view the rest of it? Well, we're, we're fortunate that the year that we, we were able to win, we didn't have a lot of turnover just uh, 
with contracts. So we have two unrestricted free agents, uh, Gunnarsson and Patty Maroon, and uh, we got Gunny signed. Uh, we're we're going to stay in contact with Patty, but the core, the the crux of our team is coming back. The the meat and potatoes of our defense: Petrangelo, Pranko, uh, Bo Meister, Dunn. Uh, those top four guys are are coming back. Uh, you know, Tarasenko's under contract. Shen's under contract everyone's under contract basically so i don't see a, there's not going to be a situation where where there's a panic set in that oh my god this good player is free what are we going to do how are we going to keep him how are we going to replace him uh that that will come a year from now with petrangelo and shen uh but the good thing is we can worry about that a year from yeah. now also <laughs> and finally five days after you guys win the cup i'm watching gary woodland watching the u.s open and i'm like did this caddy have a blue note on his and then i did i had a couple texts yeah the guy stayed at at Army's house during the PGA Championship. That's the bet. That's the and you've known the guy for what twenty years. Yeah, Brennan Little is his name. Uh, he and I grew up in the same area of uh, Southern Ontario. I actually knew uh, Brennan Caddy from Mike Weir, who's oh, from 2003 my two thousand three Masters. Yeah, who's from my hometown, who I'm, I'm friends with. Uh, uh, so I, you know, got got to reconnect with him uh, through Mike, and uh, he came and I've traveled with him. Actually, I went to Firestone and stayed with him at the hotel and a few years back uh, and watched them play when Mike was playing, and we stay in contact. He lived in Dallas when I was there. We'd golf and things like that, uh, and then when he came to St. Louis uh, at Belle Reve, he, he, he wears a white visor and had a Blue Jays hat on, and I and it was why so I just said, how do you get that? And he said, oh, I'm friends with the guys, the Blue Jays. Uh, if you want to get some hats, I'll put the Blues logo on it. And so I went to Chris Zimmerman and Steve Chapman. And I said, you know, I, I don't know the trademark uh, right. fringes and all that. That's out of my area. But if you want it, we'll put them on. So he sent us uh, a bunch of visors. We put the blue note on them. And uh, all of a sudden, we're watching the uh, the U.S. Open and Woodland's uh, <laughs> right. uh, there. And, and I see the blue note. So I, I text him and he said, oh, I, I wear it every time we're in contention. And now that you're winning, I'm going to wear it more. And it's and I talked, uh, I got to meet Gary and his wife came over during the uh, championship. And so, you know, I text him after and uh, uh, I was very excited for him for what they accomplished. Yeah. And they could just sense in the text back, he was just as excited for what we'd accomplished. So it's a sport is a, it's a small community and, uh, you know, Gary Woodland and Marty Brodeur are friends. Marty yeah. used to work oh, here. Oh, is that they, right? Yeah, they, they play at the same golf course in Florida. So it's amazing how how diverse uh, the sports are, but how small the community is when you when you start to say, you know what, I know a guy that knows a guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, how cool is that? Well, listen, I know you're, uh, you've got plenty going on. Thank you for spending some time with us here. And once again, congratulations on a year that St. Louis Blues fans will never forget. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you. So there it is. Our conversation with Blues General Manager Doug Armstrong here on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, acknowledging that when that moment finally came, even though he, of course, went went down that road with the Dallas Stars 20 years ago, uh, the emotions hitting him like it did for so many people who watched when the Blues lifted that cup. Um, I just love, I, I'm, I'm at a point now you know, it's been more than a month since the Blues won the Cup, but occasionally the NHL Network will just have one of the playoff games on, and I'll just watch it. It's, a, it's I guess, I don't know if it's the weirdest thing. I don't know if I would do that if the MLB Network was showing baseball games. I just enjoy it, and you know, I know it's, it's going to happen, but it just puts me in such a good place. It was such a great two-month run, so I love going back through these. It's kind of like a 30 for 30 in the sense that we're reliving specific moments, getting these perspectives from people. Uh, and the people such as Armstrong who put this team together and were in a spot in January where people are like, well, the Blues are going to be sellers. And I don't think too many people would have faulted them had they been. 
And then five months later, they're lifting the Stanley Cup. Doug Armstrong, thank him for his time. If you miss Bobby Plager, if you miss Craig Berube, uh, they're all up here. Subscribe to the show. You can enjoy it anytime you want. Uh, all kinds of interviews for you on the Tim McKernan Show presented by these guests, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, in addition to Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at DesignAirService.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit, online at Landoff.com. Thank you to Gangster Pete Niggy for producing. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring, and thank you to you for listening. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.